1: hello and welcome in once again to the qb11 show presented by scoop duck of course i am your host doug scott joined of course by qb11 himself andrew and andrew tonight i will ask you how are you how was your holiday how was your travel you back home safe in arizona
0: yeah it was good um first of all i'm doing well thanks for asking um second of all yeah holidays are great i mean it was good to get home and see family and it's it never seems like those types of trips are quite long enough just considering how busy the holidays are but um overall very productive time at home seeing everybody it's like kind of kind of come back get ready for the new year now feel kind of grounded like you as some fresh perspective having spent time with people that really love and care about you so uh that's always good how about you doug do you have a good christmas
1: yeah, it was good. We um, we hosted my wife's family, uh, extended family on Christmas Eve. So I prepared, or uh, well, we prepared the meal and everything for about twenty people. So that's it's fun to be around everyone, but it's also a little bit stressful. You know, when you're hosting at your house and you're like, I, for me, when I cook, I'm always stressed out about. It. I want to make sure everything times out right and that it tastes good and everybody's happy. And so. And my wife does a great job of cleaning up everything and keeping everything on track. So it went really well. Everyone was happy. Everyone had a good time. Played a lot of cards and games and, uh, you know, drank some drinks, which is nice when you're hosting because you don't have to worry about driving afterwards. Um, Yeah.
0: yeah, It's fun. Do you have any, Uh, like, favorite, like, special dishes that you guys are, like, traditions that you guys have every Christmas?
1: Um,. With her family, her family's been getting together since before I've known them. So, I mean, playing hearts is always a thing they do every time they get together, no matter what the holiday is. Um, And then there's uh, her brother as a fiancé, they're getting married in the spring, and she brought um, like a homemade hot buttered rum batter recipe that her family has had for generations. And I'd never... I've only had hot buttered rum once and I hated it, but I tried it and it was really good. And I drank like several mugs of that. So that was kind of fun. So I'm sure that will become part of the tradition now going forward as you, you blend new, new families together.
0: Yeah. So. yeah we, we, like our thing is we do Cinnabon. Like my mom goes and gets like a couple of boxes of Cinnabon every year. So that's always great. Nice. I love Cinnabon hits the spot. Never misses
1: yeah. My wife always makes cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning. So I, we get up, you know, usually the kids wake me up this time, Connor, uh, the, the older girls are, well, one's not, one's gone and the other one's in high school. So she don't get up early, but my son still does. and He wakes us up, of course, to open presents. And my wife always makes cinnamon rolls that morning. So that's nice to have coffee and cinnamon rolls and watch the kids open their gifts. But, uh, no, I didn't travel anywhere, but I am going to, going to see my older daughter in Hawaii next week. So that'll be my, uh, I guess new year's trip. Heck
0: yeah. That'll be fun.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. Excellent. Get Out of this weather and, and get into some warm weather and sunny beaches. And
0: yeah, I think seven days in Oregon was enough for me. Like I I noticed that it started to affect my mood again. Like (laughs) just like the constant darkness and pouring rain and like the ice, like the ice and snow was a nice little change of pace with, uh, after having been in Arizona. So, um, But, yeah, I was ready to get back here, and I was not disappointed when I got off the plane. It was 68 degrees outside and beautiful.
1: Nice, nice. Well, I hope all of our listeners out there had a great uh, holiday as well. And I guess we got a game to talk about, QB. Tomorrow the Ducks are – well, they're already in San Diego, but tomorrow they're taking on the North Carolina Tar Heels down there in Petco Park, the baseball stadium for the Holiday Bowl. The Ducks haven't been in a Holiday Bowl in like 15 years, so – it's kind of neat to see some of the pregame stuff. It's a great place for a bowl game. I mean, it's not the most prestigious game, obviously. It's not the Rose Bowl or a playoff game, but for a non-New York Six game, I mean, it's, there's a lot worse bowl games and a lot worse places. You know, the team could go and the fans could go than San Diego, and and it sounds like they, the city, and everything does a really good job. They were out on a, you know, one of the one of the old carrier warships i saw the other day and they've got a lot of festivities down there it seems like they're having a good time enjoying a couple of homecoming for some of the some of the players on the team obviously julio florence and jill tucker from last year's class so that's kind of neat too And, and a lot of guys it's their last game as a duck so that'll be exciting as well um any initial thoughts about this game before we start breaking it down
0: yeah i mean i i was having this conversation with you a little bit earlier i think that um relative to last year's Alamo Bowl like this game doesn't let's just say it this game doesn't have a lot of meaning um but I do think that there's going to be more effort and buy-in on a on a macro level than there was a year ago cuz last year there was uh a staff in transition there was a lot of players that were kind of unsure I mean by the time we were playing the Alamo Bowl I think Dan Lanning had been our coach for like 4 or 5 days um or, or like if if a week at most um and now we're going to like the bulk of our roster that's participating in this game is reporting is, is returning next year. Um, with like, with the exceptions of like the, the senior offensive linemen who will be playing their last game as ducks. And it's, it's kind of cool to see like even some upperclassmen guys that won't be returning or playing in this game. Uh, but with Bo Nix getting healthy and coming back and all of our offensive skill talent for the most part returning next year, um, this is going to be a really good opportunity for the offense to finish the game, finish the season on a high note with a healthy quarterback and kind of create momentum going into 23. And defensively, it's an opportunity for a lot of young guys to get kind of their first steps and more meaningful contributing roles with guys like Christian Gonzalez, uh, DJ Johnson and Noah Sewell not participating in this game um, as they prepare for the NFL draft. So uh, I I think that the Oregon is in a position where the roster is going to be pretty actually ready to play, uh, which is not always the case at this time of year in these types of bowl games.
1: Yeah, it's you, you mentioned the offense is pretty much intact. I think you know, obviously Dante Thornton has moved on, um, you know Cardwell, but he wasn't you know wasn't really playing anyway. Maliki, obviously as well, is probably the one that's the biggest loss from a from a who played on the field this year, you know, a lot of snap standpoint, but certainly a lot of guys that have been practicing the last few weeks, you know, to, to fill in that role as well. And I'm assuming Chase will just kind of slide right back into his you know, kind of previous role as, as the starter, you know, now that he's fully healthy uh, defensively, obviously a lot more turnover there, you know, for opt outs and, and other transfers and stuff as well. So I am excited to see a lot of the defensive guys get snaps, especially in the secondary and the, and the inside linebackers as well. So, You mentioned that, you know, a lot of times they say QB in these in these bowl games that, you know, aren't playoff games, aren't New Year's six games. You know, the the old cliche is, you know, which team wants to be there. Um, Do you see an advantage either way? And I mean, it it feels like Oregon wants to be here, right? Like you said, we have continuity in the staff, continuity in the players. Everyone seems bought in, uh, you know, but you can't you never really know till they get out there on the field. Do you see North Carolina as being any better or worse than Oregon in the in the want to be there category?
0: I, I think that it, it's an interesting situation. Like both teams lost their offensive coordinators. Phil Longo going to Wisconsin. Kenny Dillingham obviously is the the head coach at Arizona State now. Um, but I think that there's more transition taking place in this offseason, maybe post-bull post, uh, game on the UNC staff than there is on the Oregon staff. Uh, so I don't know how much want to or desire there's going to be for UNC on defense um but with with Drake may returning one of the high most highly touted quarterbacks going into next year probably right up there with Caleb Williams like a 1a 1b situation um i th- i think that there's going to be plenty of desire for them to win this game uh, i'm just i'm if i'm a if i'm a UNC fan i'm a little concerned about the potential buy in defensively with my top 3 corners opting out of this game my best linebacker opting out a couple defensive linemen off a defense that was already really bad um, with a defensive coordinator who I, I doubt will be on the staff next year. And frankly, I don't think a lot of this defensive staff will be, on, will be in place a week from now, right at, at UNC. So, uh, I think that Oregon, it just based on the culture and the continuity that, that is being put together right now is probably in a position where they're a little more unified going into this, this bowl game than UNC. Um, but you just never know. It's really tough with these bowl games.
1: Yeah, well, it should certainly be a stark contrast to last year, you know, as you mentioned with the coaching staff all turning over players in doubt, you know, not knowing what was going on. And that was a that was quite a quite a quite a game last year with Oklahoma being in, in a pretty similar circumstance, obviously, that as Oregon last year in Alamo Bowl. And obviously that game didn't turn out Oregon's way, you know, here with North Carolina. I mean, both these teams went nine and three in the regular season. Uh, Carolina, of course, lost. Um, lost their ACC title game to Clemson. So they are nine and four, but both teams have a 10th win on the line, which, you know, whenever you get a double digit win season, that, that kind of shows up. Like when you're looking through the, you know, the, the list of like seasons, like that, that 10 sticks out. So it's kind of a, it's a milestone marker. It gives, you know, one of these teams maybe a little bit of, of kind of off field momentum or off, I'm sorry, off season momentum. I, you know, it's kind of a silly thing, but it, it, it does matter. And for North Carolina, I mean, they've lost three games in a row now, right? They started off, you know, nine nine and one, and then they've lost their last three games. So I'm sure they don't want to go into the off season on a four game losing streak. And of course, Oregon, you know, lost two of their last three in, in and and therefore lost out on a chance to, to make the Pac-12 title game in the Rose Bowl because of it. And, you know, that left a bad taste in their mouth. And I'm sure after I mean, remember, the last time Oregon was on the football field was in Corvallis in the middle of that epic fourth quarter, you know, meltdown. And I'm sure they want to wash that taste out of their mouth really badly. And this is their first opportunity to do that.
0: Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I think just from the standpoint of, I I think Oregon as a program with coach Lanning, I think that this game just matters a little bit more than it does for Mac Brown in year four, I think, or three or whatever year it is for him Um, in terms of just, optics I think that there's just going to be more of a sense of urgency on the Oregon sideline to get this win and to use it as a springboard into what should be a really highly touted 2023 campaign Um whereas I think UNC is almost doing a little bit more of a damage control with the way that their season's broken down I mean Josh Downs their, their star receiver is also opted out of this game uh, Antoine Green we'll see if he plays I think that's still um still a little bit up in the air. We'll find out tomorrow at game time. So I, I I agree with everything you're saying in regards to like or- what this means for Oregon in terms of kind of removing the bad taste of two of the last three uh, being losses to end the season, missing the Pac-12 title game. Um, and then also just think about it in regards to go back to 2018 when we play Michigan State, I believe, in, in that Cheese it Bowl. Um, and, and the springboard that was to a really good 2019 campaign with so much production returning and you're returning your quarterback and it just kind of what that can do for your program. I think that that's kind of a similar moment right now um, that Oregon really needs to capture.
1: That might be the first time I, I've ever heard anyone talk about that cheese at bowl in a positive
0: light. <laughs> no, it was a horrible game, but the win, just having that win going yeah. into that offseason actually was like a big momentum builder. No, I, I know, I know, but that was just a brutal game. (laughs)
1: That was a brutal game.
0: Yeah. You're not lying.
1: (laughs) Um, yeah. So, you know, talking a little bit about, about Oregon, you know, offensively, you know, everyone, like we talked about, everyone's back. I mean, Bo being, as Dan said, fully healthy now. I mean, that is, could be a huge difference maker. And how this offense is able to execute, especially in a game against North Carolina, who is not a good defense this season uh, to begin with. And and also, I think, suffered quite a bit of losses in the portal, especially in the secondary. So talk about how Oregon might be able to take advantage of that matchup on that side of the ball and really put a lot of points on the board, maybe.
0: Yeah, I this this North Carolina defense couldn't stop anyone this year. And they actually had a couple pretty good players uh, who won't be playing in this game. Tony Grimes has hit the transfer portal and is heading to Texas A&M um, among a few other guys. And I mean, their top three corners, Storm Duck is also not playing in this game. I don't really, I think Oregon's going to be able to get whatever the heck they want offensively in this game. And I guess the, the, the question, if you have one going into this for Oregon's offense against the North Carolina defense is how do you feel about the play caller um, with Drew Meringer and, and junior Adams um, being reported as the offensive coordinators for this game as Will Stein kind of acclimates to the Oregon program. They're not going to bring in a new OC and ask him to call an offense that he's not familiar with um, in his first game after being on, on the staff for a couple weeks. Uh, so I'm really interested to see kind of how, how the play calling looks. If it looks similar to what we had this year, I don't see any reason why Oregon can't score a ton of points on this North Carolina defense. I don't think they don't stop the run. Well, they don't stop the pass. Well, all of their players that, I think have redeeming qualities uh, from a talent standpoint are not playing in this game for them are they preparing for the draft or preparing to play for other teams next year. Um, so th- this is a really, really good matchup for Oregon. I think this is one of the weaker defenses Oregon's seen here in the last two months.
1: Yeah, I was just running through that some of their some of their rankings a little bit. Uh, defensive efficiency 117th in the country. Um, touchdown drive rate, 115th in the country um they allow a touchdown on basically 37 percent of drives uh value drive rate hundredth in the country Uh, they're just they're just bad and they're there are three triple digits 100 worth in almost every defensive ranking category there is and that's with those players you mentioned and they're not even going to have those guys so i'm sure they have younger guys on their team they're going to get opportunities to play but it's a real opportunity for a really, really good Oregon offense who's who should be at full strength to, like you said, uh, roll up a lot of points, get what they want and and you know, regardless of what Oregon's defense is and we'll talk about that about a little bit is able to do against a a pretty good North Carolina quarterback, obviously, Oregon should just be able to outscore them at the least even if they can't get a lot of stops defensively.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a North Carolina defensive line that's a hundred and tenth in uh, average line yards allowed they're 104th in stuff rate. They're 130th out of 131 in sack rate. They're even worse than Oregon at sacking the quarterback. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, this is just like, if you're, whoever's calling plays for Oregon, whether it's Drew Merringer or Junior Adams needs to be at their chops, especially with a healthy Bo Nix. I think Oregon's going to be able to be balanced and really dictate pace on offense and kind of do whatever they want. I mean, the matchups are there to be had. You're going to have going into the season, North Carolina's fourth best corner on Troy Franklin on the outside in this game. You're going to have a depleted front seven for North Carolina going up against a full-strength offensive line that was really banged up towards the end of the season, which should be like very healthy at this point now with guys like Bass and Sala, Harper and JPJ and Forsyth and Walk, all kind of like nursing minor injuries over the last two months of the season. Now with almost a full month off, I think those guys – Um, should be feeling better. So I I expect an Oregon offense that's going to be humming it pretty close to full capacity uh, despite the loss of Dante Thornton and and Maliki Montevay out of the portal.
1: Yeah, so who do you see? I think I mentioned, you know, Chase Cota probably, you know, soaks up most of whatever reps Dante Thornton was getting. Do you see any other receivers maybe being in the rotation that that maybe we haven't seen in the rotation?
0: Yeah, I mean, this could be an opportunity for someone like Kyler Casper to get in the rotation a little bit more. Um, I'll be interested to see like these are opportunities that I think you want to at least give some reps to your young guys that are competing for contributing roles in the following season. But I mean, Coda was demanding a lion's share of the reps at the at the exposition when he was healthy. Um like even when Dante Thornton was around, right? So it was it's not like you're losing a ton of snaps. I think Thornton played ten percent of the snaps uh, at receiver. So Definitely not a lot. So I think we're rolling in with Coda Hudson and Franklin as your starters in this game, and uh, maybe a player like Casper with a with some more practice uh, gets more run here, uh, looking to kind of earn more of a role going into twenty twenty
1: three. Yeah, and obviously with with Coach Dillingham having moved on, and and as I mentioned, Junior Adams and and Coach Maringer calling the plays, running the offense for this game, you know, you think we'll pretty much see the same offense we've seen all year? Do you, you know, maybe see, some, I mean, I, I'm obviously they're not installing, you know, any new system or new plays or anything. I mean, maybe some new plays, but um, for, as far as more of a run-pass split, you, you see probably the same kind of thing we've seen. Maybe they're going to open it up a little bit more. What do you think?
0: I think it's going to be a lot of the same. I mean, they, I don't think Oregon's going to be, uh, like, unloading the box against UNC and just, pulling out all the tricks i'm sure they'll have some stuff specific to unc scheme but i think that you'll see a lot of the popular concepts from throughout the season The stuff that oregon executes well um, are probably going to be like where they go to in this game as well
1: makes sense um any other call out you want to make on that side of the ball or you want to flip it over the other side
0: no i'm just uh i, I think it's really cool like you have players like coda um, bass sala forsyth walk like these are players that um, really love the program, who are guys that are not returning, obviously, for next year. Um, but in a lot of these cases, they're out of eligibility. Uh, but to see them like play and take pride in, in wearing that Oregon uniform one more time, that's something that's kind of rare in today's college football. And so seeing, seeing all of those upperclassmen that could very well opt out of a bowl game that could appear to not be very impactful um, for the program, but just come back and, and give it one more shot with the guys is – that's a really unique thing and I think that that speaks positively to what landing is is building at Oregon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I you know, those guys a lot of those guys have been around the program a long time. They've played a lot of games and you know, it'll be neat as a fan to see them kinda, you know, go out there one more time. Um, but also I'm sure it's really special for them to wear that that Oregon uniform one last time, to go to go to battle with their brother, so to speak, one last time and, and I do think that's a really you know, in an age where that's becoming increasingly rare. And Oregon's not the only team that that is having this level of buy-in to their bowl game. I mean, you've seen other teams around the country do it as well. But it is becoming, you know, the outlier. And so it is it is really neat. And I think, as you said, it's a testament to the culture that the staff is building here. And and really, you know, some of the what is really special about, you know, Oregon and being at Oregon and being an Oregon Duck. And you mentioned uniforms. I think we saw some leaks coming out. They're going to wear white, all white, looks like, tomorrow. So... That'll be neat to see
0: against the Carolina blues. Yeah, it will. I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, I, this is going to be a really satisfying uniform matchup. I think other than Oregon, I think North Carolina probably has my favorite uniform kit in college football. So, um, from a aesthetic standpoint with them wearing the, the, all the baby blues, um, this is going to be a, this is going to be a really pretty game to watch.
1: Yeah. It'll really pop on TV. <clears throat> All right, let's talk about the other side of the ball. Obviously, it starts and ends with uh, you know quarterback Drake May, um, not not draft eligible, so he'll be back next year. You know, there was rumors that some some big time teams were coming after him, offering him multi million dollars to transfer to their school. Uh, but he says he's staying at Carolina. He's a Carolina kid, uh, you know, born and raised, been there his whole life. But a uh, huge year for Drake May. Obviously, when he goes in the draft a year from now, he's going to be a top pick. You know, threw for 4,000 yards, 67%, 35 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Um, just an outstanding year. Outstanding year for Drake May at Carolina um, in a in a team that probably doesn't have as much talent as, as a lot of other teams out there. And, and he put up a, a huge stat line. One thing that I noticed, and we can talk about this a little bit, you know, when we get into the the matchups is, you know, he has been sacked over three times per game. So Carolina doesn't do a great job of protecting the quarterback, although it's not exactly a strength of Oregon's either. So I don't know if that'll come into play or not. I just, that stuck out to me.
0: Yeah. um, This is kind of a, what happens when a movable force meets a, um, or sorry. Yeah. When a stoppable force meets a movable object, like you have a horrible pass rush going up against a really bad offensive line. I mean, North Carolina is, 90, 91st in uh, standard down-sack rate, uh, 83rd in pass-down-sack rate as an offensive line. Uh, they, they're 89th in average line yards like earned as an offensive line. This is not a good offensive line, um, and they've been feasted on by the better defenses they played. I don't know that Oregon would qualify as one of the better defenses they played, uh, but this is a group that Oregon should – at least be able to stuff the interior run and try to keep them in in like longer down and distance situations if i'm north carolina i'm just airing it out right like christian gonzalez clearly the best player for this oregon defense all year uh is declared for the nfl draft likely a first round draft pick isn't going to be risking injury in a a bowl game like this and i totally understand why that means that players like bridges florence and manning are going to be out there substantially more reps um, and so they're going to get challenged in this game. Drake may is a tremendous quarterback. I think that like he's, he's probably the most talented quarterback in college football. I know Caleb Williams won the Heisman, uh, but Drake may is really spectacular. Um, good athlete, but just the anticipation throws he makes, um, can throw it all over the yard. There's really nothing athletically he can't do or from an arm talent standpoint. And so this is a real challenge. Um, This is the best quarterback Oregon's seen all year. I don't think that's really particularly debatable. Uh, I don't know that the offense was well-designed as maybe a team like Washington. I don't know that the receiver room minus Josh Downs is as good as some other receiver rooms that Oregon's played. But the quarterback himself is a real threat. Um, and So if Oregon is to, like, find ways to get off the field and create stops, like, being successful on, on in blitz situations and simulated pressure situations, and, and actually finishing those plays when the opportunity comes, is going to be really important against a quarterback that can be pretty elusive and is a is a quality runner when he breaks when he breaks the pocket. Um, Oregon being down, no, like I mean they're down to four scholarship linebackers in this game. I would assume that we'll be we'll be seeing uh, Keith Brown make his first start. Uh, in the 2022 season, alongside Jeffrey Bassa. The backups are two true freshmen that haven't seen the field much, and Keith and uh, Harrison Taggart and Devin Jackson. I anticipate that we'll see both of those guys play quite a bit of snaps in this game. Um, how do they perform? How do they react? Uh, we'll probably go a long ways in dictating the outcome um, defensively for Oregon against this North Carolina offense. Yeah, North Carolina
1: doesn't run the ball particularly well. I think they're about 60th in the country in yards per attempt. Uh, Drake May is actually their leading rusher, both in, in attempts and yardage. Um, even if you take out the sacks, he still has has more attempts than, than their lead running back, Elijah Green, who, who ran for 508 yards, four and a half a carry. So they they do have a lot of rushing touchdowns. I assume that, that comes in in the red zone, at two, about two per game there. So they're not a super effective running team, but I, it, it's an area where I think like you said, Oregon has to at least stop stop the token runs when they come, or hold them, you know, to to a small game to kind of get them behind the sticks a little bit. And and I I, I agree with you. I think I think it's going to be an air an aired out game for Drake May and North Carolina. I don't know why you would want to run into the strength of Oregon's defense, which is the rushing defense, or, or for most of uh, let's say eleven and three quarters of a game, uh, the strength of Oregon's defense, uh, the rushing game, and when you have you know, Drake may your quarterback and a suspect secondary at Oregon. So I expect North Carolina is not going to run a whole lot, but when they do, I think Oregon's got to, got to keep them bottled up.
0: Yeah. And I expect that North Carolina will be pretty aggressive on fourth down too. I think they know what kind of game this is going to be going in where they're going to try to have to match Oregon score for score, um, which means that they're going to be very aggressive about going forward on fourth down situationally. And frankly, like given what Oregon's defense has been in 2022, kind of hard to blame them. Like, I think that the, the sheet will probably, um, that like their analytics sheet will probably say that they go for a lot of like third and three or fourth and three, uh, fourth and like short to mediums. So, uh, I expect this to be like a pretty high scoring game with two offenses that are able to find success against defenses that are missing key contributors and and playing with a lot of youth and experience.
1: It feels like it might be similar to how that UCLA game played out right? If we remember, go back to midway point of the season where it just kind of became, nobody really punted. It just kind of became a game of who can hold the other team to field goals or get, you know, maybe one or two stops and get off the field without a score.
0: The only thing I'd say is that the UNC offense, while it's good and the main reason I'm being like, I think I'm being a little bit down on the Oregon defense, just given that you don't have Christian Gonzalez in this game. Um, they, they've struggled down the stretch offensively, like North Carolina has. Um, and so I'm, I'll be really interested to see. I don't think they're as good as UCLA offensively as a unit. I don't think they're as good as Washington no. offensively as a unit. Um, so I I think Oregon's going to be able to find some stops. I don't think it's going to be a lot of them just because of how good the quarterback play is. But like this UNC offense has shown a propensity to stop itself at times. Um. And so yeah, and if
1: you, if you look at those last three games you mentioned, you know, Georgia Tech they they lose and only scored 17. They scored 27 in double overtime against NC State and lose. And then they and of course only 10 against Clemson in the in the ACC title game. So yeah, they definitely have been on a downtick here. So uh, there may be something to for Oregon maybe to to find in that tape and and take advantage of. Yeah, it I mean may, like, and they really kind of struggled in those games.
0: Yeah, so, like, North Carolina is 17th in F-plus on offense. Um, like teams like UCLA and Washington are both top 10. So, like, Oregon certainly has played better offenses than this North Carolina team. But I'm just kind of – like, you just kind of inspired me. I'm pulling it up here real quick. Uh, Georgia Tech defensively ranks 59th, which is, like, pretty comparable to where Oregon's ranked. So, for Georgia Tech to be able to find something um, that, was, that made them – capable of stopping this UNC offense. I, I think if you could make them one dimensional and force them to beat you through the air, which sounds really counterintuitive. If you're an Oregon fan, that's paid any attention this year, but I think just keeping them out of short yardage situations as much as possible is going to be important for you defensively. Like I, I, I don't know. I, I, part of me, like the, the, the line on this game is 14 and a half uh, in favor of Oregon right now. And that's tough. I don't I don't think I would take Oregon at 14 and a half, but if it ticked to thirteen and a half, I'd I'd consider taking Oregon in this game. Um, just because I think that Oregon's gonna be able to find two or three stops in this game. And I don't know that UNC is gonna be able to find any.
1: Yeah, it, it's crazy when you are like, looking at that Georgia Tech game. So North Carolina actually led that game 17 to 0 mid second quarter. Never scored again. They went Starting with the last possession, well, the last possession of the first half and then into the second half, they went punt, 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 interception, punt, downs. Uh, So, yes, Georgia Tech found something there.
0: Yeah, and I've watched a pretty substantial amount of UNC this year. Um, With the holidays, I haven't had a ton of time to like, and frankly, with this game not being a really important game, I haven't dug into a ton of the tape, but I've watched enough of North Carolina this year to know that like they just go on these stretches where offensively they just they're just not clicking. Like, things just aren't working. Whether it's drops, they, they have experienced a pretty good amount of drops this year. Um, the, the run game is super hit or miss for them, very inconsistent as the O-line stats would, would kind of point out. But they give up. They, they have a lot of negative plays offensively, whether it's procedural penal, procedural penalties, um, whether it's sacks that they allow, whether it's tackles for loss on attempted runs. Like, I think that... Again, it's tough with what Oregon has defensively available in this game, but I think that with guys like Brandon Dorlis in the interior defensive line, I think we'll be able to stop the run. Um, And Mace Foon has been particularly good in that phase on the edge. I, I don't know where the pressure comes from for Oregon to get after May in this game, which is really the big concern. You don't want to let him sit back there all day and pick you apart. But I think that Oregon's going to be able to find, like again, two to three stops in this game, which might be enough to win in cover.
1: Yeah, I, I guess we can move into the picks at, at this point, and then maybe we'll touch on the other Pac-12 poll games that are coming up. Um, unless you got anything more to, to talk about with this game.
0: Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I think we've covered it pretty good. This is a pretty straightforward matchup. This is just like two pretty, ha- pretty aggressive half teams for most of this year. I think Oregon's got more of a defense than UNC does, and I think that the advanced analytics would kind of back that up, especially considering losses for both teams. Um, yeah. So...
1: All right, so we're, we're say, it's 14 and a half, is that right?
0: Yep, 14 and a half.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm taking Oregon to win the game, but I don't think they're going to cover that. That's a lot of points, and it's too many wild cards in this game. I think maybe they win by like 10, 11, somewhere in that range. So I'll take North Carolina to cover the 14 and a half, but Oregon wins the game.
0: Yeah, actually, I think Oregon is going to cover. I'm going to take Oregon. I think we win by about 17. I just... I don't, I don't know where UNC finds stops in this game, especially with Bo healthy and having his legs available again, um, like and getting the offensive line healthy. Like those guys were, I, I think that's an underrated factor in this game. The Oregon offensive line has been playing extremely banged up down the stretch, um, and those guys being healthy and having Bo available and just them not having corners, like a team that already struggled to get off blocks to tackle on the perimeter, I think that Bucky and Noah Whittington are going to just have monster days. Uh, running through the second year on these guys. So um, I'm, I'm going to take Oregon to cover this one. I, again, I wouldn't if betting real money. I don't know that I would pick this, um, but for the sake of us kind of having different takes, I'm going to go ahead and take Oregon to cover.
1: Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about some of the other Pac-12 bowl games. There's been two that completed. We got a few more to go. Um, we can touch on each of those in the, in the definition of a, a game where one team cared a lot and one team cared a negative amount if that's possible is Oregon State rolling it up on Florida 30 to three um what bowl game was that that was the Las Vegas bowl so Florida clearly was a team who didn't want to be there they had a lot of, a ton of opt- outs they cared nothing about this game and Oregon State cared a lot and and credit to them they showed up and they they just destroyed Florida uh, got to 10 wins on the year and and won this one30 to three.
0: Yeah. I mean, Florida just was disinterested in being there. Like, I'm not taking credit away from Oregon State. They played well in this game. They were clearly the more motivated team. They were clearly the more complete team just from a roster makeup standpoint. I mean, Florida's offense was rough at times this year, even with Anthony Richardson, without him, without some of the starting offensive linemen, some of the starting receivers, with without their best players on defense. They just didn't look equipped to play this game. So um, good win for Oregon State. They get to 10 wins for the first time and well, forever. Um,
1: yeah, like 20, 22 years, I think.
0: Yeah, so good, really good job by Jonathan Smith this year. Um, for Florida, I think like, I think that, that they already are fixing their problems through the portal, through prep recruiting. They just signed a really good class. I don't know that they, there's a lot of takeaway for Florida coming out of this game.
1: No, I, I think the only takeaway was uh, they kicked a field goal very, very late in the game uh, to get to To keep their like thirty year streak of not being shut out alive, so I think there was some some talk about that on social media. So they managed to get that three points at the end to keep that keep that streak going, for what it's worth. Yeah, that's awesome. All right.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I don't. There's, I, I don't even know what to say about this game. Like, this game was just like one yeah. team that really wanted to be there, really cared, and had their whole team and. One team that had about forty percent of their roster and couldn't have given a shit. Like, and that's that's bowl season for you. Yeah, right? no, seriously, that's why. Like, that's why I, I have a hard time like betting on these bowls is like super risky. Like, you never know what you're gonna get. Um, I don't really particularly like betting on bowl season. New Year six and um, playoffs I think are a little bit more predictable, just because those teams are all committed, want to be there. In general, outside of a few rare exceptions, most teams are going to those games at full strength as well.
1: All right, well, let's move on to another game that was a blowout. Uh, the opposite way for the conference this time around. This game is always going to be a hard matchup or an interesting matchup for the conference because it pits the, the number six or this year the number seven team in the Pac twelve, which was you know Washington State at seven and five, against the champions of the Mountain West, which was Fresno State, who came in uh, at nine and four and blew out Washington State twenty nine to six uh, to move to ten and four on the year.
0: I mean, this is the exact same thing as the Oregon State game. Fresno State, full strength. They got their quarterback. They got their best receivers. They're they're ready to go play in a big in a game that matters to them um, in terms of finishing their season with some guys that are getting ready to go to the draft and 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 are kind of uh, fulfilling the rest of their eligibility at Fresno State. Washington State, ton of their key players in the transfer portal. They're down both of their coordinators. Like they're just they're just a shell of the team that they were three months ago. Um, and so I, I actually did bet on Fresno state and made some money in this game. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, a good bet. Yeah. I mean, I just like Washington state was just, they don't have any, they had no playmakers available offensively. They didn't have anybody it just cam ward out there by himself defensively and not having, having guys like Henley opt out and get ready for the draft. Having guys like Maui Goa in the portal already heading to Miami. Like the, this was not even the close to the same Washington state personnel that PAC 12 teams were facing over the last couple of months.
1: You got it. All right. So besides the Oregon game that we've already talked about, there are four other Pac-12 games upcoming. So Oregon uh, obviously plays Wednesday night. Thursday night, we've got the Alamo Bowl from San Antonio with uh, number 20 Texas kind of staying fairly close to home and uh, going up against number 12 Washington 10-2 uh, and two on the year. They're going down to San Antonio um they're getting they have their whole team intact Uh, i don't know about texas i know washington has everybody intact they got everybody to come back for next year it sounds like as well so i think there is no lack of motivation on the part of washington in this game i think texas is the wild card and, and crazy enough texas is favored by three in this one
0: well i mean you have a half team versus a team that's pretty well rounded in texas yeah um, like Texas defensively actually made a big jump with Pete Kwiatkowski and I'm actually like really intrigued just from a matchup perspective scheme wise defensively for Texas how this game looks. I mean they're going to be down they're, they're going to be down some key players who are preparing for the draft. Um, their top two running backs Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson both won't be playing for Texas. On defense, uh Demarion Overshone won't be playing who's probably one of their more explosive playmakers off the edge. Um, but I just think that Texas is a more well-rounded complete team. Although the best thing in this game is the Washington offense, uh, but with how bad the Washington defense has been this year, even without the top two backs, can this Texas offense move the ball? And I think the answer to that is yes, especially considering how much of it's going to be largely a home environment. Um, I think this will be a pretty close game um, all the way down to the end. I, I'm going to take. I would take Texas in this game if I was betting it, just because I'm going to favor the team that's a little bit more complete. Um, and they they have a lot to play for. Like they have a lot of returning players, and Texas projects to be probably a top fifteen team going into next year. Um, so this is a this is a good Texas team um, in playing in a in pretty close to a home environment down there in San Antonio.
1: Yeah, especially with all the flight cancellations. I, I think it, you know talking to some Husky fans even before even when the Bulls were first announced, like getting to San Antonio, as we know, you know we've been to that bowl game a number of times from the northwest. It's not easy um it's not cheap and it's not easy and then of course there's been a ton of flight cancellations too which i think has affected some people so it's definitely going to be home cooking for texas it, you know you look at their you know, eight and four okay they're an okay team but then you look at their you know they lost by one to alabama they lost by three to texas tech and kind of a weird game they lost by a touchdown to oklahoma state and they lost by a touchdown to tcu i mean the, you know they haven't gotten blown out they've been in every game right down to the wire i mean you know, you split those and they're 10 and two and you know, they're right there. So I think they're a better team than their record. Not, not saying they haven't, they don't have their faults because obviously they do, but I, I'm really interested to see this matchup as well. And particularly. I, I want to see the Texas defense against the Washington offense. Cause I, I think there's some strength on strength going on there that I, I, I'm really interested to see play out.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we saw this Texas defense hold TCU to 17 and like, I'm not saying TCU is, even one of the five best offenses in the country, but they've got explosive talent on the outside at receiver. And Max Duggan was a Heisman finalist. Um, I'm not expecting that performance to be repeated here. I think that Washington probably gets close to 30 in this game. Um, But I think that we've seen this Kwiatkowski defense keep things in front and manage explosive passing games in the past. Um, And I think that's what they look to do in this game. And I, I think that Texas will be able to run the ball. Um, I people would assume that Texas is just screwed at running back. Texas has a really deep and talented running back room. But yeah, Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson are players that start for ninety eight percent of teams in college football this year. But Keelan Robinson uh, is a really really explosive runner, and he can he can take it to the house from anywhere on the field. So they've got other players, um, Xavier Worthy at receiver. Like we we just if, if Quinn Ewers has a good game, I think that that Texas um, is going to be able to move the ball pretty consistently against what's been a pretty horrible Washington defense.
1: Yeah, I will, uh, I'm going to take Washington in this one, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Texas wins.
0: Yeah. I, I, again, it's tough to say with like the opt outs and like, who's going to be more motivated in this game. I'm I'm pretty sure Washington's going to be ready to go. Um, they're going to be, they're going to be playing for their 11th win. Um, and I'm and I'm sure that they're they really want that one for the momentum it creates for them going into twenty three. But yeah, they got
1: playoff aspirations for twenty three, so this is their this is what they're looking at as a catalyst and a springboard yeah. into what they see as a playoff season.
0: I've got Margot Robbie as my wife aspirations as well. So um we can we can all dream. Yeah, we can all dream.
1: All right, let's move on to Friday. Three days in a row, Pac-12 bowl game. This one is the Sun Bowl, pitting uh, Pittsburgh—no pun intended—against UCLA. Uh, Again, this is one I have no idea how motivated UCLA is, how many of their players are playing or not playing. I will say, shout out to the Sun Bowl. Um, You know, it's in El Paso, which is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, It's not a—you know—it's not a game that gets like the best teams, but. They have done an incredible job for the last fifty years of putting on a really cool, um, a really cool show. Their locals all show up for that game, so it's always got a full stadium. It's a. It sounds like it's always from everything I've ever heard or read. It sounds like the the teams that travel there and the fans that traveled there really get taken care of quite well. So it's kind of neat when you see this, you know, this little town in El Paso that never, probably never has anything going on, you know, much outside of this game. But every year, this is like their their event and they they really do it well so you know
0: kudos to them but let's talk about the game pittsburgh ucla i have no idea who's playing quarterback for pittsburgh is dorian thompson robinson playing in this game
1: i think so i think so
0: i mean on its face if both teams were at full health i'd probably take ucla um especially with no keaton slovis like this Pittsburgh offense, Pat Narduzzi is not a big fan of scoring points. Although I will say that Pitt probably is the best defense that UCLA has played this year. So, but that's assuming again that Pitt has everyone available. I don't know what the opt out situation is in this game, um, but on its face, I think that the UCLA offense is the best thing in this game.
1: Yes. So what these, what we need ESPN or CBS sports or Fox sports, whatever website of your choosing for these bowl games, they need to have a little section that says who's not playing so that we can, when we're scanning down the list of games, we can see quickly and easy who's announced that they're playing or not playing. That's a, that's a little free tip for you, big corporations out there.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good thing. Cause Um, I'm not familiar as much with who's playing in these games. What's the line on this?
1: This one is uh, UCLA favored by five and a half.
0: Yeah, that to me tells me that that they think DTR is playing.
1: I'm pretty sure sure that I read DTR was playing in this one, but I don't think uh, Charbonnet is.
0: I got you. Well, I I, I still take UCLA in this game.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think I'll take UCLA to win this one as well. That brings us to the New York six game. So the PAC 12 for the first time in a while has two teams in the New York six. Um, first off on Jan These are both on January 2nd in the morning, morning kickoff. Tulane, USC, at and stadium, Cotton Bowl.
0: Give me the green wave, baby.
1: <laughs> I knew we talked about this a long time. The UCS, UC, uh, sorry, USC is favored by two. Um, I'm kind of with you. I think this is one of those games where, I mean, uh, the new the the G five participant in the New York Six Bowl has a pretty good record over the last five six years. They win most of those games.
0: Uh, how healthy is Caleb Williams? Like, I'm... oh, that's a other question for sure. <laughs> well, first of all, I don't think Tulane. I don't think USC is stopping Tulane offensively. Tulane's actually very good, um, and Tulane's actually very competent defensively too. Like more more competent than most of the teams in the Pac twelve. I think that Tulane probably compares, like, probably a pretty – what's the word I'm looking for here? I think that they're probably very Oregon Statey. Like They're very plucky. They're well-coached. Um, they probably have a couple couple NFL-quality guys. But like the Oregon State front seven is nothing special, and Oregon State was able to hold down the USC run game pretty well. If Caleb Williams isn't 100%, I think Tulane wins this game going away. Caleb Williams is 100%. I think it's a shootout that Tulane wins.
1: Yeah. I'm kind of with you. I think, I mean, th- this game is always like, as a, as a fan of a power five team, I feel like, man, I never want to be the team that's playing the G five team. Cause usually the power five team is, Oh, we had, you know, we lost our conference title game or we didn't make the playoffs and we thought we were going to, and we're, we don't want to play that game, you know, but the G five team is always like, it's like Boise state back in the day, right? Like this is our one opportunity to prove we belong And there's just such a huge motivation factor there. So I I kind of think that's going to play out in this one. And I think with the Caleb Williams situation on top of that, I like Tulane.
0: Yeah, I agree. I just, I think Tulane, again, we're talking about like the more complete team. Tulane's a physical football team that will get after you. Um, And Utah was able to, to really beat USC with that twice, in dominating fashion, without a healthy Caleb Williams. And, um, I think there's some matchups, obviously on the outside. I don't know if Jordan Addison is playing in this game, but even if he's not a like, cat receiver for USC, that are are very favorable. But like, let's remember Tulane beat a good Kansas, like a a very good Kansas State team. Um, the big shoot the Big Twelve champions. Uh, yeah, at early this year and. Tulane's a really quality football team, and they've got some really explosive playmakers themselves offensively. And I still think that this USC uh, defense is soft to Charmin, so um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we've seen that a few times this year when they've actually played um, good competition, which hasn't been a lot.
1: A good good offensive competition, they haven't played that many games against great offenses, and when they have, they've, they've been exposed. I do have to correct uh, myself a little bit on my assumption about the G five teams in New York Six Bowls. Uh, it doesn't my perception or didn't match reality. They've actually lost the last four in a row and five out of the last six. So, uh, so much for that theory.
0: I gotcha. I also think like this is a USC team um, that would be ripe to still be hungover from that Pac twelve title game and missing a, a playoff yeah. and not really excited to play a G five team.
1: Totally agree, and that brings us uh, last but not least, of course, to the Rose Bowl. Uh, you know, two-time Pac-12 champions are going back to the Rose Bowl. Uh, Utah, ten and three, number eight, and they're playing against ten and two, number eleven, Penn State. Now, this is uh, you know a, a matchup of you know a pretty good Utah team and a and a pretty good Penn State team. Who do you like in this
0: one? I like Penn State. I think Penn State's just a. I think I think Penn State's the clearly better team in this. Like, what's the line on this, Doug?
1: Uh, it's five. Sorry. It's two and a half in favor of Penn state.
0: Yeah. I'll be betting this. I oh, like no, wait. That. Sorry. Utah's favored by two and a half. Yeah. Get well even better. I'll be betting the Penn state money line. Uh, I think Penn state's a better team. Penn state defensively is actually very good. I would. Well, no, it's not even a question. Penn state is the best defense that Utah has played all year. Um, Penn state's yeah. extremely athletic defensively. They've got a fantastic secondary. Like who are the playmakers for you at Utah that are available in this game? Dalton Kincaid isn't playing. Brent Keithy isn't playing. Um, the running back is not playing in this game. Um, I, I don't. I don't know where. Where does Utah turn against the fastest and most and and best defense they've played all year to create explosive plays and create offense?
1: I, that's an excellent question. I, I don't know the answer. That they haven't. You know, they've kind of relied on on the tight end show and Cameron Rising Magic for most of the year against, you know, quite frankly, the Pac twelve, which has just terrible defenses this year, as we've talked about, you know, ad nauseum. But you know, you go back to this Penn State team and obviously they lost to Michigan and they lost to Ohio State, you know, the two best teams on their schedule who were, you know, two of the top five teams, both in the playoffs, right? So uh they lost the two playoff teams, they won every other game and and most for the most part, they won them easily. I mean, there's a lot of blowouts on their schedule um
0: across the board. I don't like what does Utah do offensively that Michigan and Ohio State do though, like I don't like Michigan. Ohio, Utah no. just doesn't have players no. that would see the field for those teams offensively, not without the tight ends, especially on the outside. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's a player on Utah's receiving room that would even be a scholarship player for either of those teams in, in Michigan and Ohio State.
1: Man, I, certainly not Ohio State.
0: Like yeah, Joey Porter is gonna just absolutely take whoever Utah puts in front of him out of the game, assuming he's playing, and 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 maybe he's not. Maybe that's why the line is what it is. But like this is a very talented Penn State secondary. This is probably a top three secondary in college football this year. Very good, um, and they're very fast at linebacker. They're very explosive in the front seven. They can rush the passer, and Utah has not done a great job of protecting Cam Rising um, offensively. I'm not a huge Sean Clifford fan. I think they've been playing the wrong quarterback all year. But they've got two fantastic freshman running backs in Penn Penn State. Penn State also has a guy that was projected to be a first-round at tackle coming back for next year who is also playing in this game. So they're going to be at full strength on the offensive line. They've got some explosive playmakers on the outside. I just think that Penn State is more equipped to score points in this game against a Utah defense that has been – good, but they. I think people think they're better than they are based on a performance against uh, a Caleb Williams at 40% USC offense in the Pac-12 title game, whereas like, you legitimately have a very good team in Penn State here um, with a lot of high-end NFL talent, and I think that Nick Singleton and um, oh shoot, the second back is escaping me, number 13 um, I believe his last name is Allen uh, total stud though like I think those guys make plays, and I think that Penn State, K, I think Catron yeah, Allen, yeah, Catron Allen, like, the, like that might be that's one of the best running back combos in the country, and they're both true freshmen. Like Penn State has a ton of talent, so yeah, give me Penn State in this game. I'm I am going to be betting a, probably a pretty decent chunk on Penn State to win this game outright.
1: Yeah, and I think you know we've talked about this you know several weeks back or or maybe even a couple months back, but you know this is. Yeah. Granted, the Rose Bowl hasn't really truly been the Rose Bowl, you know, in, in the last eight or nine years. Right. Because it's never pitted the, the Big Ten champ against the the Pac-12 champ in any time in the playoff era. But maybe one time it did. I think the USC versus Ohio State year maybe it was one. But um, uh, no, that wasn't it either. USC versus Penn State maybe it was the year. But anyway, uh, I digress. So this is the last true matchup because as we go next year, the, the Rose Bowl is a playoff semifinal. And then we go to the 12 team playoff and the Rose bowl will be the first two years of that will be either a quarterfinal or a semifinal as well. So there could be years where it doesn't even have any PAC 12 or big or big 10 teams in it at all. So it's going to look very different, uh, for the next three years, at least. And then, you know, for twenty twenty six and beyond, you know, it'll either be part of some playoff lineup or or something else. So the Rose bowl is, is definitely going to be quite different after this and, and, uh, the granddaddy. We'll see what happens, but this is kind of the last, the last for sure, big, big uh, pack versus big matchup, in um, Utah versus uh, Penn State. So I'm with you. I like Penn State to win this one, and uh, that's all I got for today. Anything more from UQB?
0: No, that's it. I mean, I'm, I, I am like honestly in shock that Utah is favored in that game. Um, I'm, I'm actually on my Fanduel account right now. Maybe. <laughs>
1: Well, on that note, I think we will be back with Justin on our next episode later this week. I think we're looking at Friday for that, so we'll uh, be before the New Year's, but we'll be obviously recapping the Duck versus North Carolina uh, Holiday Bowl game as well as any other uh, games that might have been played in that period of time. So, And we'll be
0: going over some roster implications for that class that was signed last week. I know both of us have updated our scholarship charts, um, so there's some conversation to be had there about – Uh, some things and I'm sure there will be some roster movement immediately following the uh, holiday bowl as well. So uh, we'll have some more clarity in regards to who's returning and who's not returning um, for, for next season, guys that are on the fence, like Brandon Dorlis um, will probably be making their NFL decisions here sooner than later. With that being said, I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope you guys all had a wonderful holiday. Um, Hopefully you're not stranded somewhere because of Southwest airlines canceling your flights um make sure to stay safe enjoy the time that you have with family here if if you don't hear from us in, until the new year have a wonderful new year uh and, and make sure to support the podcast follow it on twitter at qb11show follow myself at qb11sd follow doug at douglas ts uh, and go subscribe to scoop duck there's been a lot of really good insider content um, I'm going to be catching up on some evals for some guys that committed here on signing day and some transfers over the next few days. Uh, so there'll be some more uh, roster content as well on Scoop Duck. Um And you'll be hearing from Justin here later this week when we do our recap of the Holiday Bowl. Uh, with that being said, have a wonderful week. Go Ducks, and let's get a win against North Carolina.